0: This is Defenders TV Podcast, Episode 125, about The Punisher, Season 1, Episode 4, Resupply. I
1: hear a lot of people stand to but I'm going to tell you what the blues are to do. When you ain't got no money, you got it.
0: Welcome back, fellow defenders. This is Derek, one of your hosts for Defenders TV Podcast, and we're on episode one hundred and twenty-five about the Punisher, season one, episode four, resupply.
2: Yes, I am one of your fully clothed hosts,
1: John. And rounding out the group from your Defender in location, Chris.
2: Have you seen any uh Spider-Man fly by recently?
1: I haven't, I haven't. I did go searching for um the the blind lawyer and his current filming. Um, in New York at the moment. Mm. But um, apparently they they give the actors a break on a Saturday. Who knew? How dare they?
0: I'd say if you went around at maybe three o'clock in the morning, Chris, you might find him uh, filming on a rooftop somewhere. They do seem to work a lot of nights over there, don't I, they? I'm surprised that communism
2: has arrived on the banks uh, of uh, the land of the free.
1: I know.
0: Saturday off.
1: The one thing I will say is walking around Hell's Kitchen rooftops at uh, 3am is probably not a good place to be. It's a lovely area of
0: New York, Chris, actually, but I still wouldn't walk around the rooftops. You're probably right.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Any gentlemen, let's not speak about our other defenders. We have a uh, gun-touting, sledgehammer-wielding attacker.
2: Yes, this is the attacker rather than the defender. Um, And we are... going to get into our full spoiler-filled review of episode four resupply but before we do please remember to head on over and subscribe to the podcast you can head on over to apple podcasts google podcasts or any other evil or good podcast catcher please rate us
0: subscribe and leave a review thank you Absolutely. And to do that, just go over to our website at DefendersTVPodcast.com and all the links will be on there for you. If you want to send us your thoughts about any of the episodes, you can leave us voicemail through our website at DefendersTVPodcast.com or email us at Feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com.
2: There is one other way you can contact us as well, and that is through the website, through the comment section. We received a comment through the comment section on our website. Really good bit of feedback. So, of course,
0: one other route for you to get in touch with us. Absolutely, yeah. I kind of forgot that people could leave comments on the, on the yeah, posts mm-hmm. until it suddenly popped up in my email feed this morning. Very cool. Thanks very much for that.
1: So, Derek, do you want to kick us off by giving us all the details about this brilliant episode?
0: Absolutely. Some brand new people on board for this episode. The episode was written by Dario Scardapane, who has never actually written any of the episodes before for the Netflix Marvel series, uh, but has done two episodes of The Punisher. Um, in the past, she's written two episodes of The Bridge and was the showrunner on the TV show Trauma back in 2010. This episode was directed by Carrie Scogland. This is her first time in the Marvel Netflix show. She's done a ton of TV, including three episodes of Queer's Folk US, Walking Dead, Fear the Walking Dead, Penny Dreadful, and The Handmaid's Tale, John.
2: Fantastic. Loving Penny Dreadful and The Handmaid's Tale, obviously. And Queer as Folk US back in the day. But not as good as Queer's Folk, the original.
0: No, hardly ever is.
1: And the same could be said for Fear the Walking Dead. But it's still greatly, fantastically directed.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for the episode? Sure.
2: After almost killing his father, Lewis tries to recreate the safety and solitude of army life in the field, digging a trench in his backyard. In his bunker, he obsesses over sacrifice and accountability, as Curtis tries to connect with Lewis to draw him out of his first life and into his second life outside of the army. However, Lewis ignores Curtis and signs up with Anvil to use his fighting skills, but he soon clashes with Billy Russo, leaving Anvil after accusing him and Curtis of being just another liar in the higher ranks. At Homeland Security, Dina Medani receives a visit from her mentor in the agency, as she and Sam plan a delicate operation to stop and seize a shipment of guns at the docks which are headed for the streets of New York. However, the same shipment is in the crosshairs of Frank, as he builds his firepower for the fight with Agent Orange, and he encourages Micro to get his hands dirty in the field. As both plans are set in train with the arrival of the truck of guns, Medina's operation is compromised, as her communications are jammed and her video is looped by Micro, as Frank seizes the armory, instructing Micro to take the truck back to base. As Dina races to stop the truck, she and Frank play a game of cat and mouse in a high-speed muscle car chase around the docks. But as she and Frank are about to come to blows, Micro truly gets his hands dirty as he intervenes, crashing full force into the side of Dina's car as it crashes off the road. High
0: octane speed. Yeah, awesome. smell
2: those petrol fumes. Mm-hmm. Yum-oh. <laughs> Definitely. Um, Yeah, really good car scene there. But I think we can leave this to our top five points.
0: Yeah, with that, I think we need to get into the War Journal. Time for case note number one, Lewis Walcott digs a trench. Yeah, Lewis, we've talked about him in the last episode. This guy is having a really, really tough time getting back into daily society. It's just not going well from it all. Um. Not only the normal stuff about the idea of, you know, being outside war and being outside that, that time when you had everybody in the army depending on you, all your teammates depending on you and not knowing what to do with himself. He's now digging a trench in his back garden like he would have done in Afghanistan. Like that's, that's seriously, you know, this guy's about to have a bit of a break with reality, isn't it? Yeah. It's probably a metaphor for his mental state as well. I,
2: I'm really pleased that they came back to Lewis Walcott actually here in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was really interesting, uh, just focusing in on him in the last episode and him almost killing his father and to see him here now, as you say, you know, shutting himself away. It, it's really, um, obsessing on, on various things. I love that moment where Curtis does come to, to try and speak to him, to encourage him back to the veteran circle. And you, you get snippets of his, his journal, his notebook where he's writing things down like accountability, sacrifice, liars, and, and all this. And I, I think it's really interesting that the, the show is coming back to this this character. Uh, whether he'll play a bigger role in the future, I don't know. But certainly, maybe his little showdown with Billy Russo at Anvil as well could lead to um, him, I don't know, going after Billy and Curtis, even though they're trying to help him in different ways, um, you know, Obviously, Curtis trying to, as he says himself, bring him into his second life outside of the army. And in in effect, Billy uh, trying to maintain the use of their skill set by employing them as fighters um, Mm and a private, a private army to, to work with the U.S. Army wherever they're based. So it's really interesting, but I wonder, will his frustration, will his obsession, will it uh, project onto those two? Or, or will it be somewhere else? Um, it'll be really interesting to see, I think.
1: For me, this storyline, I, 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 I I don't know where it's going. And that's the thing I'm trying to figure out in my head. Are they, is Lewis going to be a wild dog that they'll have to put down? Um, is it going to be the trigger that makes Curtis and Billy potentially put them in a bad situation? Is that what that storyline is? If this storyline is just about um, the horrors of war and the treatment of veterans and the struggle they have coming back and reintegrating into society, I think it's a bit too much on the nose. Mm. Because they're basically saying that there's this one guy is getting so paranoid he sleeps with a gun, nearly kills his father, and then ends up digging a trench in their back garden because that's how only place he feels safe. I, I think it, that that could be the extreme, but I prefer the way that they're handling it in the the scene where they're with the group, mm-hmm. where you get all sides of the story.
0: Yeah, yeah. By having all sides of the story, it is it is great, but he is the most interesting of the characters that are in there, uh, in that group. He's definitely the one you want to follow, and he's, from these scenes, I think he's the one you got to watch. Uh, you were talking about wondering about what's the potential second half of the season villain no spoilers at all this is absolutely no spoilers for the rest of the season but this is the guy that i think you got to watch from these scenes they're absolutely setting him up with the fact that he specifically says to kurtz i should be working for anvil because everybody that's given me an evaluation gives me a perfectly positive val- evaluation i'm gonna ace this with flying colors who's the person that gives him a bad evaluation and makes him miss out on the job that's curtis Billy has in a moment with him where he says, you're not ready for this. I can get you a job if you want a job. And his reaction to that is, I'm not cleaning your floors. I want to go back into the army. I want to, I want to get one of those jobs that you, you promised to everybody else here. So Billy's number two on the hit list, really. Um, I think this is going to be a mission now for Lewis to take out the people that have wronged him, uh, at some point later on in the season. That's what this seems to be setting up in here. Uh, I don't think it's just as simple as, he is the viewpoint of someone that has PTSD and the viewpoint character of people that have come back from war. I think there's a bit more to him from this episode. Yeah. I think I, that's what we're seeing.
2: Okay. I, I definitely, you know, in terms of how I feel, I think he's going to integrate into the storyline, mm-hmm. but I think it's interesting that, you know, we've seen him in the veteran circle where we have all those different points of view. We then have him. With his more extreme view, uh, and I, I kind of liked seeing seeing that within this, given that this is so um centered around war of different types, but both sort of you know international war in Afghanistan between different countries, uh, but also personal war, in effect, having to deal with pulling yourself up after being in war, in a sense. You're having to go through a whole range of different emotions, which I think, uh, Lewis Walcott, it shows that he is. You know, he's at the veterans circle, but he's being persuaded by other people that, you know, this is a load of bullcrap. And there are people like that. And then there are others who are kind of telling him he's wrong to be thinking like that. And I do like the fact that Curtis comes to him in uh his back garden uh, where he's dug that trench to try and reconnect or you know pull him back from some kind of brink but i do think with what happens in anvil uh certainly um he didn't look too happy by um billy russo <laughs> telling him uh that this wasn't for him i really um, thought
0: that scene was so tense where yeah. he stands up to billy or he just he's a shorter guy than billy is where he stands up and stares at him, ready to just unleash fury on Billy. And you know, from what we've seen and and the type of guy that Billy is, he's special forces. He's got some serious skills like Frank does, really. So I wouldn't want to be throwing a punch at him. So there's just that moment of kind of, as you describe them, Chris, two dogs just staring down each other. And who's the alpha male here? Billy turns out to be the alpha male in this situation. But does that mean that? Um, Lewis is going to step off and not come back. I don't know. Um, you know, there's, there's some great interplay in these scenes. That moment when Curtis comes to talk to Lewis in his foxhole. And as he's giving him some great advice, some really interesting advice, the sound drops out completely showing that Lewis isn't even listening anymore. He's not paying attention to any more of these lectures. He's done. He's gone into his world. He thinks his way out of. Having to deal with normal society is going to work for Anvil. And that's now been taken away from him by Curtis.
2: Yeah. Mm. That, that was some, that was some really good, um, direction and camera work that I, I loved that. It was the same when he was scribbling, uh, his notes down in his journal. Mm. Uh, I just thought there was some really good camera work here. And yeah, that moment where he's, he's playing with his dog tags and, uh, the sound just goes, um, really, really cool. Um, set up and framing for that uh, that scene.
1: Okay. I'm interested to see where it, where it's going to go. Um, I didn't actually think about the the angle of um, it bringing the second half one of the big bads or the origins. Um, so I will reserve judgment.
0: Again,
2: maybe. No spoilers. Yes. Quick question as well. Um, what did people think of Anvil? This a very black corporate logo they have there. And I mean, they are effectively... Uh, is it mercenaries would be the right word for them? You know, private hire army, uh, whatever. So, you know, in, in terms of what Billy, um, is the CEO of or owner of, um, this is a fairly, uh, interesting organization and setup of an organization here. Very henchman like, possibly.
1: Private security firms are a big thing now. hmm. In real life. And there are quite a few, um, and they do everything that we've seen so far, which is they have an army of mercenaries, um, who are guns for hire, uh, be it for uh, high value targets or high value protection, um, to mm-hmm. uh, training because they get some of the best guys in, and they they then train so as we saw the FBI, the counterterrorism unit, things like that. So when Quantico yeah. can't train a certain aspect. They they go out to these guys who can, uh, and they, they get trained there. Um. So, yeah, yeah no, I like it. I, I like it. It does feel a bit, as you said, uh, beginning of Hydra-esque. <laughs> um, kind of, it's like, ooh, yeah, they are. That, that's a lot of henchmen you've got there. Yes. And except one guy who really can't do pull-ups.
0: I, th- I thought it was quite interesting, actually. I thought a lot of the candidates that were there, other than Lewis, who's eff- effectively just come back from Afghanistan... A lot of them seemed kind of overweight, um, seemed unfit. You see some guys jogging in the background and they are puffing and panting. You see the guy that's right beside Lewis who's trying to do the pull-ups and can't do more than about five. He's obviously been out of the army about three or four years at this stage. There's no way you lose the fitness from the army that quickly. Um, there's, there's some interesting ideas in there, whether it's just the dream that Billy Russo is selling to these guys, Um, who he's kind of describing as people that earn less than 40 grand a year in the US uh, after coming back from the army. That dream that you see on the adverts of before you go into the army, once you go in there, you'll be able to get a college degree, you'll be able to come out and you'll be able to work at the top level of society because of the training that you're getting. What he's selling the dream to these people who haven't attained that dream like he has. Um, He's selling that dream of, well, I'll be able to pay you money and we'll get you back into war because you'll be able to use your skills to fight like you wanted to. Yeah.
1: Yeah, right. So let's hit, change our discussions from uh Lewis and his big trench and the, his anvil to, oh, gentlemen, oh, gentlemen, we got our favourite man from uh, our second uh Claire, if you will. The man who connects it all, Turk. He is back. Poor Turk.
0: Yeah, it's great to see Turk Barrett back, definitely. Um, much like his appearance in Luke Cage though, uh he's definitely getting the uh the bad end of the stick here. Although maybe that was his appearance in Daredevil where he got the bad end of a stick to his face a couple of times um <laughs> from uh from Daredevil. So uh he's appeared in every show except for Jessica Jones, as far as I remember. He was in the the preview comic for Jessica Jones, but never actually appeared in the series. But he's appeared in every other show since then. So good to see the poor guy back. Uh and did have a good couple of lines in there. Well. Yeah,
2: I, it was really good to see Turk back, actually. And I, I think, uh, the humor works so well with this character. I mean, I love the line where Frank says, do you believe in God, Turk? And he's like, right now I want to, you know, as he's been told <laughs> to face forwards. Um, I do think it was really good, uh, little scene between these two as obviously Frank is needing to get guns here. Mm. Um, and all he finds is a pink Kruger, which I suppose, um, Is our weapons watch of the week. And I think this would be my weapon of choice, a pink Kruger, uh, but with no ammo, Sweet 16.
0: Yeah, I think that would be my weapon of choice as well, one with no ammo. I definitely don't want the ammo in it, thanks.
1: I I just like the colour scheme, to be fair. I don't even like pink, I just went, this really pops. It It really does. (laughs) I wanted the Punisher to go around with a big pink shotgun just for a while, just Mm -hmm. to go... It really offsets the black and white he has going on. Absolutely. At
2: the moment. I really hope that this makes a, a reappearance in the show sometime down uh, the line. I think it would be so funny. It would also be my college colors, pink and black. So it would be, I, I would rock it at Worcester College. I, um, I really would. <laughs> um, but it would. Yeah, I, I'm really hoping that they pull this out for, for the laughs, you know, yeah. um, at some point down the line, uh, because I do think Pink Kruger, possibly with rainbow ammo would be quite cool. <laughs>
0: yeah. I, I, I do like that little touch as well that that's the gun is being given to a guy's daughter for her sweet 16th birthday. He's just calling it the sweet 16 gun. Uh, another little, a little jab, I suppose, at yeah. gun culture. Um, I think it's one that, that we as Europeans probably, laugh about quite a lot is that uh, parents buying their 16-year-old kids guns and then, then getting into their car and driving around with them. Uh, it's also a little bit crazy.
1: It is. I, I'm so happy to see uh, Turk back. Um, I thought he was the perfect pairing because he is that he's that underbelly he's that side element of uh, the Defenders universe he gets knocked around quite a bit poor guy. Mm. I was hoping to a degree that he would constantly supply uh, Frank. Right. I thought he'd he'd end up selling to Frank or telling Frank where his competition is all the time, so that he could, like, that's what I was kind of getting for. And I was like, nope, this is just as good. He's the comic relief to a be to a degree, um, as he's mm-hmm. been in yeah. some of the other shows. Um. So I was like, no, you did this perfectly. This is the right way of doing it. I do want the Pink Kruger. I want Sweet Sixteen back.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm. He did take it as well. So yeah. I think that was more to to berate David for sending him down there, to, to berate Micro <laughs> for sending him after this cache of guns. He lists off all the different guns that he was supposed to be getting from Turk Barrett. Uh, but as usual, Turk fails is effectively the, the point of the scene. I like the fact that Punisher needs guns. He's in New York. There's only one man you can call, Turk Barrett, <laughs> who has failed in every single time that someone's needed information or needed stuff from him. So yeah. um, probably need to take him off the list.
2: Yeah, it would have been cool for him to, uh, supply Frank. Definitely, Chris, I think. Um, but you just wouldn't be able to trust him. Yeah. He, yeah. he's, he's shifting sands. He's got, he, he goes where it's safe and where the money flows, yeah. you
0: know? But I, I love there was a little call out there from, from David Lieberman that the, uh, the police are all over Turk. It's kind of a, you wouldn't believe how much surveillance this guy has on him. I love that little, uh, that little <laughs> joke on Turk because he does seem to get involved in these situations over and over again.
1: I really liked Frank's ethos part, where he was like kind of very much saying he'd rob badass Peter so he can kill psycho Paul. Mm, yeah, um, that was very, really very, cool. very, very, very nice ethos piece. This very much this resupplied logistics piece. I, I'm really happy they're doing it this way. Mm-hmm. This is the Punisher. I kind of come to expect from his cinematic previous. His uh, very much. Previous incarnations. The evil Robin Hood, the black and white Robin, I don't know what way of kind of calling it. He's robbing from the bad guys to kill more bad guys. Um, yeah, yeah, that's kind of, that, that resupply piece is always, it's a fun, like, montage. I was, I was, okay, I really was hoping for an 80s montage, but I know they'd never do it. I just like <laughs> 80s montage. No. I know, but
0: I want an 80s montage at some point. <laughs> yeah, 80s montage would be very cool. Yeah, it, it is really important here. Michael and himself are now set on the plan like they were at the end of episode three and now they need guns. That's the, that's what this is all about. This is the, uh, this is the matrix scene where it's we need guns, lots of guns, you know? Um, so they can't get to the next stage of their plan until they do it. And they have a really good plan in this episode. There's some really cool stuff that comes out of it. But certainly we have Frank
2: and Homeland Security on the same gun trail, uh, for the Greeks.
0: This is a gun pile from for the Greeks. Mm-hmm. With that great little joke about uh is the reason why they didn't give the guns to Turk was because they thought he was Greek <laughs> because of his name, or maybe it was because when they saw he was black, they went, Hang on a second, that's not one of our guys. Um nice little touch in there. Yeah, definitely. But I think point three,
2: Rafi Hernandez, head of Homeland Security. You know, we get another layer here of Dina's story that this is her, her mentor. But again, it's like, is Rafi, you know, on her side? I mean, these, uh, government agents are so dodge all the time, but you know, is he just trying to give her good advice to, you know, really make her mark here in the, the New York office, you know, play the office politics, and make sure that she can, uh, you know, progress. That You know, he is her mentor. But again, he is really not necessary. you know, he's warning her off uh, from carrying on down this Kandahar route. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the same as Carson Wolfe was doing, you know, is he involved in this or does he just know that, you know, as he says, I think he gives a, a fairly sobering account of it, that this is war. Sometimes there is friendly fire. Sometimes there are casualties on your own side. Um, and that's not acceptable, but these things happen and you move on. Now, I know this is very different, but he's framing it in a way to her to say, you know, not, it doesn't run a hundred percent, um, like we would want to all the time and good people die on our side by our own people for for various reasons. So is he trying to nicely kind of keep her back from getting herself harmed or does he have something to cover? And again, you just don't know because these these government spods are are all in the same suit. I mean, you know, you don't know whether they're good or evil or what they're pushing, but he certainly, you know, is... He believes in, in Dina and has, you know, been her mentor from the start, bringing her into the agency. So it, it was a nice little hookup. I mean, it was quite brief. Um, and what the significance of it may be, I'm not entirely sure yet. So, mm-hmm. um, it'll be interesting to see, um, whether he is a part of Agent Orange's sort of sphere of influence or, or what
0: it'll be interesting, I suppose. Well, you got to wonder if he was the one that had the word in Carson Wolf's ear to say you need to shut this operation down as fast as possible. You know, if he was the person that was leading that particular side of the department, shutting it down, just like he is with Tina, He's saying to her, effectively, you are a very hungry agent. You want to get into a high position. Here's one for you. Work at this one and you can get to the next high position. Just leave Kandahar alone and just you can move through your career and you can get better and better positions in this agency if you just give up on this one job we can guide you through this.
1: Yeah. As I was kind of discussing last episode, I wasn't sure where they were going with the storyline. Mm. Uh, and I'm a bit like, it's the one of the weaker. Now, if Rafi Hernandez's introduction is that, as you said, Derek, like kind of like he potentially was the one pushing Wolf. Mm-hmm. Then what they're showing is that Homeland Security, to a good degree, there is these fractions within Homeland Security who may be not thinking about the security of their Homeland as their number one priority. Mm. And I'm like, Oh no, that's cool. I can see a very cool storyline where it's basically, we've got Dina trying to remove the rot and the filth from within Homeland Security. Mm -hmm. That's a very cool storyline. If they take it down that route. Which is yeah. there was this whole subsection of Homeland Security that was potentially funding or part of Cerberus operation Cerberus uh, or actually maybe they they where we had operation Cerberus as one arm in the army uh, and the, or the, the forces the the actual the armed guards uh, we have a different operation X in Homeland security mm. working as a different fraction if you will yeah. um. Very cool. I did like Rafi, the speech he gave, which is like, you need to learn to understand politics within any organization. Uh, and for me, this kind of, I, I, I really enjoyed this because very much like any corporate entity, you're like, oh, there's politics. Oh, there's politics. Yeah, right. Yes. I'm like, oh, it's the same as anywhere. (laughs) Even if I became a Homeland Security agent, I still have to deal with office politics. And I'm like, that's cool. It's a nice way. Absolutely. Very (laughs) interested now to see if this is where they are going with the storyline. Or is it just potentially Rafi being the mentor to the Dina mentee uh, situation? He's just trying to give her some good advice. But because Rafi's tone of voice and everything is quite low and growly it just came off as potentially came off bad you know what i mean
0: yeah it came off as kind of shut it down yeah 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 we have
2: another visitor but this time it's frank revisits sarah lieberman back Mm. at her home um yeah what do you guys think of this
0: do you know what i just personally i loved his opening moment as he walks in through the door to sarah and goes as she goes you got a haircut. And he goes, uh, yeah, people kept saying I look like a hipster. I really don't like hipsters. So I got rid of it. (laughs) What a great little moment from Frank. See, he does have a sense of humor. Uh, But this all is stemming from his chat with David Lieberman earlier on where he where he gets the phone call from Sarah and effectively says, well, the reason I have her number is because I wanted leverage on you. If you ever do anything, you know, I have her number. And, you know, I know where she lives. Uh, really threatening moment from Frank. But it's kind of cool to have this in here. It's an easy scene that you could have edited out and dropped. But I think it's really important for Frank to see how the real world works. Effectively, how his life would be if his wife and kids were still around, you know. Um, he had two kids as well. He had a boy and a girl. He had his wife, um, just like David does. And having him in the situation where he's walking through the door in this Mess of a household, a little bit of a mess of a household where you've got Zach, the son who's just completely disrespectful to his mother because of losing his father. You got Leo, her daughter, who's trying to take up the position of man at the house. She's trying to fix the garbage disposal in the, in this kitchen and Frank slotting himself into this family unit like he would have with his own family where he's helping out with everything that Sarah wants to get done. So I think it's kind of a really important thing to see frank in this kind of domestic situation with the family random just to kind of see a different uh, side of frank
2: yeah i mean it's interesting when you you said that he threatens david lieberman mm. you know by having his his wife's phone number and that he would do something to it but that ultimately would be outside of his ethos or code or mantra mm-hmm. so he Presumably is playing double bluff with David Lieberman, who is not fully, you know, it's, it's only been a, a day since, uh, him and Frank have kind of teamed together here. So he's, he's p- presumably bluffing here because that would not be, uh, Frank's style. He yeah. wouldn't go after innocence in that way. Um, but yeah, no, I, I really like this, but I, I also like the fact that Frank, you know, in effect does put his foot in it with Sarah about David saying how you know, she, she's kind of lamenting the fact that she's kind of angry at him. And I think she describes it as, why would you say something so harsh about someone you've never met? Yeah. Um, you know, he was a really brave guy. Just the fact that I complain about him doesn't mean that I don't want him back in my life and so on. I thought that was really nice. I, I like these these real personal touches that they um, bring in here, and particularly with Lieberman. I think it's really important to, in effect, ground Frank as well as David Lieberman, because, you know, what they're doing is high-stakes stuff. This is their kind of bedrock Mm -hmm. on which uh, they... Uh, approach things and why they approach things, and I, I thought that was really important um with her comeback to to Frank there, uh, and I, I thought it was really nice. You know, she's still protective, she's still defensive uh, about her husband, who she obviously still thinks is
0: dead. Yeah,
1: I'm calling it now. She will kiss Frank in the future episode when she has a bottle of wine on her. And then she'll go, oh, no, oh, my God. Uh... And that uh, Frank will just kiss her, kind of go, meh. Nah. Uh, and that will cause um, Micro to go a bit crazy, um, slightly. You know, you can see where I'm going with this.
0: I can. I is that, can. It's that I...
1: slight antagonistic bit. It, and I think the double bluff is the best way of putting this, right? Frank is saying that he's doing this just to, to mess with and keep uh, Micro in check. That's not the case. Like, Frank is doing this because this is something he's missing. So the two of them are lulled into exactly. a false sense of security. They, they'll have a kiss. Uh, that will jar Frank. Um, and actually, if anything, we engage him towards the the actual, the, the his path as Punisher. But then he'll need to deal with Micro has a kind of like, I'm sorry, man, I didn't mean to do it. I didn't mean to kiss your wife who thinks you're dead. You know, that kind of, you, that old chestnut, you know, that old chestnut storyline.
2: Yeah, I, I I definitely agree with you that um Frank is also doing this for his own personal reasons that, you know, he, for that brief moment in time when he's at Sarah's house, it is the man of that house. Yeah. You know, he's trying to, he's helping Leo with the garbage disposable He's done the garage door and he's also offering to fix the broken headlamp on, on her car as well. You know, this is him being domestic Frank that he wanted with his own family, but that was taken away. Um, and yeah, I wonder, even in this one, I still thought, is there going to be some kind of romantic development? It could even come from Sarah in the sense that, you know, she's been a year without her husband. She may, you know, just find herself, um, sort of wanting to have that company with a man, you know, in the house. And I think it kind of works potentially both ways here between Frank and Sarah. And I think you always see that on, on David's face when he's watching them through the, the cameras, mm-hmm. like, where is this going? Or will it just be that once off
0: coincidence where they met because, you know, she ran him over effectively? Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you're a single lady in New York, all you have to do is drive up your driveway and there'll be guys throwing themselves onto the bonnet of your car.
1: (laughs) That does not sound scary whatsoever.
0: (laughs) No, it's a a really good point that you make about uh, David Lieberman is watching. Frank knows this. He even has a little jibe at at David as he hears Sarah call her son a bit of an asshole when he's trying to deal with a, a difficult situation. And Frank goes... I know a guy just like that very audibly, very clearly as a nice slag on David who he knows is watching and listening. So, hey, look, he knows he's in the house of David with his wife. Would he really fall into her arms or give her a kiss without it just being a jibe at David because he knows she's watching?
1: I think they are both widows feeling pain. Sarah doesn't know Micro is alive. It is a bit of a trope. You've seen it done before. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'm wondering if they will do that. I, I, it's just a small thing. I like Frank using this as a a sense of, yeah, as you said, jibes and jabs at David to try and keep him in check, even though he knows as the Punisher, he, he has no reason to punish his family. Mm -hmm, Like, he, he can't, there is no rationale. Um, so, but it's very much just to keep Micro in check.
2: Yeah, I, I, I think so. I think there's maybe a number of different motives, um, of frank that in um david lieberman's house with his wife uh whether it's for himself for controlling micro and i think it if anything anything else might come from sarah uh in in that sense Mm -hmm. but i i think uh with talking about people throwing themselves onto the bonnets of cars there was another set of cars in this uh In this episode, Uh, and with point five, we have the race with Homeland Security, Mm -hmm. the, the muscle car chase, um, as they try and grab hold of the guns. I loved this, uh, race with the American muscle cars um i thought it was really cool i also actually liked um i liked the music i feel love by donna summer <laughs> playing as as the block to the communications the interference i uh, couldn't stop singing along with it i you know think. exactly um there were some really good moments i loved it as you know frank jumps onto the top of the truck as well that was really cool little moments i thought um but that car chase just the drifting and that horrendous suspension that muscle cars have where they seem to wobble about really well captured i think uh
0: in in this sort of real big final scene do you know what it really reminded me of and i know they're probably going for a fast and furious type take on it it really reminded me of the uh, tom cruise uh, first jack reacher film that he did and that that driving scene in that which felt really realistic with two muscle cars as you say with the tail spinning out um, kind of similar to Drive as well, maybe. Yeah. Uh, a bit more realistic than you would see in something like Fast and Furious. It had that real intensity and, and kind of excitement about it.
1: I actually thought of uh Stephen Queen's Bullet, around driving around San Francisco with in the Dodge Charger, which was quite mm. similar to the one that Dean is driving. That's what that immediately came to my head. Very cool. I very much like this. This is what I've been waiting for for a while. And this very much Punisher comes in. It's a two-man military machine. Mm-hmm. So well-oiled. So the example I gave is breaking of or the jamming of the communications. Uh, very much a micro thing in that Frank probably asked him to jam it. Micro did it with the cheesy music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was fantastic. Yeah. How bad are Homeland Security that they don't see a guy jump from the roof to a moving van? Especially when it's quite obvious. I'm like, wow, that's two really bad agents that they no, haven't noticed that yet. They did. Did they notice it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, right. Okay, I take it back. <laughs> Excuse me. Apologies, Homeland Security. <laughs> uh, yeah, apologies. I, I I, will give it because I was there going, how are they not noticing that a man just... Jumped in and threw two guys out of the van, and they're just driving behind. Go do 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 Anyway, <laughs> really enjoyed this. the The actual capture. I liked that uh, Frank just when they get when he steals the van. I should say he's in the back. The two agents come in, and then he's got a flamethrower. It was just like, that's overkill. Oh, yeah. I like it. And it was like, it's going to get really <laughs> hot here. You either run and jump into the water or you stay here and burn. And you're like, oh no, what was it? Something you either yes. go get wet or you stay and burn. Well done, Frank. Well done. Okay. Very much a <laughs> Punisher thing to do. Uh, just like completely Absolutely. over the top armament for a situation. Um, leading it to this piece of, the car chase, which I found really good, yeah. As you said, the cinematography of this was absolutely fantastic. I think they tried to channel some Fast and the Furious, very much with the the kind of shots of inside the cars where you have the two of them looking at each other as they drive. Um mm. I think, but it was more that the spirit animal of this uh, director was much more Jack Reacher much more realistic, going, yeah, "Yeah, okay, we're going to spin out the backs of these cars. We're going to show them how driving at 120 miles per hour down a a road is going to get dangerous.
0: Yes, in cars that exist in the real world, absolutely.
1: (laughs) Yes, exactly. Are you telling me that a submarine uh, and uh, a Lamborghini racing in the Antarctic didn't happen?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was a documentary, Chris, wasn't it? (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh, it was. That's it. Fast and the Furious 8. Fast 8 or whatever. David Attenborough's narrating.
0: <laughs> but you do make a really good point, Chris. Yeah, Dina and Frank do catch eyes um just before the crash where David steps up and knocks Dina uh, and her car flying. Um As Frank goes and saves her as well and drags her out of the car before it explodes, she realizes it is Frank Castle and also realizes he's the one that killed Wolf. So where does this set Dina? Does it set her on the path against Frank? Or the fact that he saved her and confirms what she knows that Wolf is a dirty cop. Does that put her on his, on his side? Does that allow her to know that he's a good guy, not a bad guy? Uh, by that discussion, which, which way do you think it's going to go?
2: To be honest, I think she's still going to want to get her hands on him, you know, and arrest him for, for something, but she may have more questions, uh, than, than answers about Frank. You know, he's just saved her. Mm-hmm. Because I, I love the fact that as he walks away and, you know, gets back in the car and leaves, then the old Mustang blows up and uh, her face lights up. That was really good. I, and in fact, again, another great shot where you see her looking as he walks through the smoke and it, his kind of figure disappears. Yeah. Um, I thought that was really good, but yeah, she's, she's going to have more questions again. I don't think it's that she's going to uh, stop pursuing Frank in any way. But she's realizes that he has just saved her. He, whilst he disarmed her, checked her ID, he didn't kill her. And that, like her, he told her that Carson was, a, uh, you know, one of the bad guys. He, he was, um, dirty. That's why he killed him. Not to say that that excuses him in her eyes, but certainly they're both on the same page with regards to Carson Wolf. And so, It'll be interesting how she then processes that and, and goes after Frank, whether it's that she wants to talk to him before she arrests him or whether she's still looking to bring him in. Because at the end of the day, she is obsessed with this, um, investigation and Frank Castle is one of the, of her persons of interest without of a shadow of a doubt. So I don't think she's just going to give up, uh, in trying to bring him in. Of course not. No, no. It could be more that they will end up being unlikely allies, that, you know, she doesn't realize it, that again their paths cross over something and they end up having to fight with one another out of a particular situation.
1: I think what will happen is she will see the thing that Frank did as being the right thing, but his methods being wrong. Right. In other words, he's taking down the bad guys, but he's taking them out not arresting them, mm-hmm. and that's where they'll have the clash. So it'll be very much a quid pro quo. She'll find the dirty people inside of Homeland Security and this Operation Cerberus, and she may give that information to Castle.
0: Or David might take it.
1: Mm. Or David might take it. it would be an interesting to see how it goes. Yeah. I wasn't expecting them to do it like this so early, mm. um, so I'm quite... I'm happily surprised that, that this is the way they did it. He saves her, he takes her gun away, he tells her the truth about Wolf that she already knew, mm-hmm. but that he killed him for being so dirty yeah. and for having this uh, this kind of a relationship. Interesting. I the one piece I just before we I hand over to Derek to you for your thoughts um Micro Micro's shocked by this. Micro was not happy, like he had to get his hands dirty yeah. Oh, that scene when he's in, after he kind of crashes our car, uh, he, he's seen there. Frank has to kind of visibly shake him up to get him out of there, mm-hmm. to get him to continue because he's like, you, I got my hands dirty. I promised that you, I said to you, I wouldn't get my hands dirty. And he could see the actor who plays David Lieberman in the micro. He portrayed this in an amazing way where he shook, uh, he was yeah. just squeezing the, the steering wheel.
0: He's just so angry at Frank, yeah, for making him do yeah. this. It's, yeah. really, it's really good. A nice little callback to the conversation that Frank had with Sarah earlier on, that David is a person that doesn't get his hands dirty. He really wasn't any good at home, so he'd just call a guy. And at this stage, Frank has that conversation with him a little bit earlier on, where Frank goes, I heard that you just call a guy and don't get your hands dirty. I'm the guy now. I'm the person that you've called into a situation where you could have done all this, but you're not willing to get your hands dirty. You're going to need to if you're going to work with me. So, yeah, he he made david do this david's now effectively destroyed the car almost killing a homeland security agent so he's now done something illegal which he hadn't in the past he's been chased for something that and the world has been told that he's done something illegal but he's now done something illegal here he almost killed a homeland security officer so quite a significant way of getting your hands dirty for the first time i suppose definitely it was a great scene of
2: his kind of reaction of of that crash and yeah his resentment here at frank um yeah the the tussle that they have you know between each other and micro visibly shaken as you say chris really
0: really cool absolutely that's our top five points for the episode we did leave one out so i'm going to pop it into notes here uh which is frank getting the mustang and the van from the uh from the warehouse Um, thought this was a really cool scene because you've got the guys uh, torturing the owners of the warehouse, the guys who are, are obviously flipping these cars. Um, and I love that moment when David comes in, again, shaking at the scene that Frank has left behind him. There's even a moment where Frank kills a guy and we don't see it. We just hear the sound of a pinball machine crashing as uh, Frank throws the yeah. body onto it. Uh, I believe that's a comic book cover, is it, Chris?
1: It's a comic book cover and it's also a well-known um, statue of the Punisher. I believe it's a Diamond Select figure from a while back, a couple of years, um, probably the mid two thousands, and right. it's um, a dead man, uh, the Punisher, a dead man uh, against the pinball machine. Um, it was a very, it was a nice callback, but it's also a comic book cover as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, a, a kind of well known one. I can't think of who drew it though, and but. Uh, Please, if you are a fan of the Punisher series and a fan of listening to us, why not pop over to our Facebook group and just tell us that we're wrong and which comic book cover it was.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. But it's it's a cool little scene. What I also love about it is David, again, has this reaction where he's going, there's a dead guy in a wheelbarrow out there. And Frank goes, I didn't do that. And look at all these dead bodies around here, (laughs) the smell of them. And Frank goes, well, I did that because they did the other thing. And then, then David starts to throw up and Frank goes, don't leave any DNA evidence behind you of this. Nice uh, nice little moment. Again, the humor of Frank without a smile, without a grin, without a nod and a wink. It's his humor under that completely gruff exterior where it sounds like he's threatening people, but he's actually being, he's actually adding a sense of humor. Any other notes for the episode, guys?
1: Just a quick one for me. Um, essentially, I'm finding it really hard to find the, the Marvel Easter eggs mm. that we did, uh, in, say, some of the other episodes or some of the other series. Um, I don't know why that is. It's just, it's very light on the, um, so we don't have a gladiator like cameo. We don't have an Easter egg like, the, the gladiator's gauntlets or his suit in a, in a scene. Things like that we would have for Daredevil. Mm-hmm. Or like Jules' costume in Jessica Jones. They're not as on the nose. Um, I believe it's probably just because the the callbacks to, say, Ennis' Punisher when he was in the Vietnam War. Like, a lot of people, that's some deep cuts right there. I think it's almost mm-hmm. like too deep cut, if you know what I mean. Um, yep. and also then, yep. like, some of the, the most well-known Punisher scenes are too mature for TV. I'm putting a call out to our favorite fellow defenders out there on our groups. If you find any that I don't mention, please, please feel free just to, um, come over to our Facebook group. And tell us about it there. Or uh, pop us a tweet on Twitter, at DefendersCast.
0: Yeah, totally agree, Chris. I think there's there's probably something different going on in this show. There's probably a lot less Marvel Easter eggs. But yeah, that, that Pinball Machine Easter egg is damn fine. That's pretty darn cool. I like that one. Um, I think it's on to our defence of the episode. Chris, do you defend this episode of The Punisher Resupply, Episode 4 of Season 1?
1: So, yes, I do defend this episode. And, um... To a degree, I also am quite happy to say that my fears, trials, and tribulations for the last couple of episodes are slowly waning or waxing, depending on which moon cycle you're in. They are going down the route that I wanted to see from this series. They are going to a point where things are starting to come together. I see what, to a degree, somewhat what the bigger picture is. Mm-hmm. And where they potentially may go. It's sad that it took me four episodes to get into this. More just because usually I'm very much bought in to the... Uh, I'm potentially what people may consider a Marvel Netflix superfan. We podcast about it. Uh, it was bad that it took me four episodes to get into it. Um, and to kind of slowly go, okay, I see where you're... T- I see the journey you're taking me on. I think the problem may have lay with the timing of everything and how potentially they could have condensed some of these scenes and some of these overall episodes just tighter. Um, Hopefully this this extension pays off because they've wasted four episodes out of uh, 13. So I'm hoping that the overall pacing isn't rushed now going forward. But I am happy to tell our fellow Defenders and my fellow podcasters that I am on board now. My fears are waning, uh, and I am happy to say that this episode really did it. The car chase scene, the the resupply, bringing back Turk, the pinball machine, um, and then uh, Frank potentially acting naughty with uh, Mrs. Lieberman. (laughs) But on that bombshell, John, do you defend this episode of The Punisher?
2: I do defend this episode of The Punisher. Um, I give this four sweet 16 pink Krugers out of five. Nice. Bang, 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 bang. Uh, indeed. Yeah. I, I love seeing Turk here. I absolutely, um, adored that car chase scene at the end. I liked how Frank got micro involved, plunging his hands into the filth that Frank normally has to deal with. I, I like the callback to Sarah Lieberman uh, and everything that sort of surrounds that as well. And I think in particular, it really does start to... Uh, add layers to Dina's um story here in Homeland security with both her meeting Frank at the end uh, and what that has to offer for us in future episodes but also seeing her her mentor uh, Rafi hernandez and and what that means to maybe the agent Orange theory that we have here and that Frank is going after as well. I'm really enjoying uh Billy and Curtis and I like the interjection of Lewis as well. I think uh, that's a really intriguing storyline for me and um, as I say it's kind of a side story I feel almost at the moment but I do feel it will intertwine into Billy Russo's and even Curtis's storyline so it'll be interesting to see I, I can't wait to see how things start to come together I've kind of enjoyed the the slow burn really of this for me Um so I've not been too worried about that but I'm, I want to see it coalesce to, together, definitely all these different strands. But yes, I do defend this episode of The Punisher. So Derek, do you defend this episode of The Punisher?
0: Yes, I do defend this episode of The Punisher. I'm all up on this. This is, uh, this is exactly the kind of stuff that I wanted. Uh, the Lewis storyline is probably my favorite dramatic storyline in the show. The Punisher and Micro tooling up, trying to get their weapons, dealing with Turk to get their weapons. And going after, uh, Homeland Security's weapon stash in that awesome car chase is the best action that I think we've seen so far in the series. And I think that also that scene in the warehouse when they're getting their cars is also a really fun, interesting scene. So lots of good stuff in this episode. Definitely a defend from me. And with our defense out of the way, I think we have some feedback to get onto. and um, some feedback that came in through our Facebook page over at facebook.com slash groups slash defenders TV podcast.
2: Yes, uh, thank you for everyone that has been sending in their comments. Uh, for episode three, Ronaldo said, really like this episode and the interplay between Frank and Micro. Great acting between the two. Completely agree. That was certainly uh, my favorite so far of this episode. Um, who doesn't like to see uh, this sort of development of the storyline between these two characters? For me, that was the highlight, definitely.
1: Mm-hmm. Is? Yeah, we had Claire Lafa over on Facebook just to go Turk heart. Uh,
0: <laughs> Claire does love Turk Hart, definitely. She does. Tina Brand says, I really like the feel of these episodes, much different from the other series. feels more like a long movie and less episodic. There are so few supporting characters and only two real plots, Frank Micro and the stuff. The construction Worker Pal storyline seems like it was just a setup and that's a good thing. Keeps the whole thing very tight and tense.
2: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Yep, completely. I think, um, it was nice to have that construction worker pal story as a, as a kickoff point really, um, introduced the character of, of the Punisher and of Frank. And yeah, certainly it, it leads to Frank surfacing again for Micro. Uh, but yeah, the, um, the slow burn here, the, the long movie feel, as you say, Tina, uh, really enjoying it. And it's, it's certainly, uh, really, uh, tight and tense. And we have our episode four feedback, Lisa Richardson. Frank's friend, Curtis has a big target on his forehead. You can smell the doom on him. Absolutely. Um He really does have a target on his forehead. Certainly uh, after that uh, exchange in Anvil between uh, Russo and uh, Lewis, uh, he is not Lewis's favorite guy at all. I wonder what doom smells like though, uh, Lisa, it, uh, it's a really good
0: phrase to use, definitely. Or, um, does Lisa mean the target on his forehead means that Curtis is our bullseye? Ooh, do you think? <laughs> I'm not sure. I think she probably means no. there's a target on no. it. No. Yeah, I think so too. It was just the choice of target on his forehead, yeah. which is bullseye's costume.
1: No, it was not. The terrible bullseye on his forehead was a Daredevil film introduction that was then later copied by the comic
2: books quick question though um given that frank was within daredevil's universe do you think that there could be um an origin or the emergence of bullseye here in this punisher given that we're talking about maybe crack shooters um, and snipers uh, from the army do you think there is a bullseye evolution to develop here in, in the punisher storyline
0: i'd love to see punisher have the introduction to a huge character like bullseye because obviously everything has sat with daredevil because it's been two seasons of the show so i'd love to see the introduction over on this show
1: it would be very nice i I suppose because charlie cox did share his uh, spotlight in uh, the previous season with bernthal potentially it would be nice to see charlie cox cross over in this season I, i can hear our fellow defenders screaming but he can't well if this is set Before Defenders, fantastic. He definitely can. Um, If it's set post-Defenders, unfortunately, uh, there are reasons he he cannot at this point. But no spoilers. So in case you haven't watched Daredevil or the Defenders, that is all I'm saying for now because I nearly just spoiled it.
0: I got some additional feedback in after we finished recording the episode. Uh, Ronaldo says about our episode 3 podcast. Great episode, guys. It's hard for me to rewatch the show as I have no Wi-Fi at the moment. And it costs me an arm and a leg to watch the season via mobile data. But I really enjoyed this review. And the main points I loved. Chris's point about Frank's skill taking down the idiots in episode 1 compared to his hallway scene in Kandahar. I thought more so because in episode 1, Frank was taking down basically untrained bullies. His skill set far outmatched theirs. In Kandahar, it was soldier versus soldier good point Ray. yeah i know what you mean it's uh he probably doesn't need his full skills to take out a gang of bullies like they were Ray goes on to say loved derek's pickup of the hallway scene i didn't pick it up but it makes so much sense for book watch i especially liked the theory on that books on barbie dolls was a poke at the superhuman mcu heroes sorry i know that was a bit of a joke <laughs> thanks for thanks for laughing at it right <laughs> and then finally ray says uh chris's seed from debbie denner to if debbie had indeed written into feedback Oh, I wish we had a Debbie that could have written in for feedback. That would have worked so, so well. Thanks for listening, Ray. If our fellow Defenders want to check out a really good podcast about Moon Knight, a little underserved hero character from the Marvel Universe, check out Ray's podcast, Into the Night. Really, really good podcast. Yeah, really enjoyed it. Some other feedback on episode four came in from Tina Brown. She says, does New York seem a lot less populated? Drag racing on empty streets and people meeting on a deserted pier? Eh, not so much. Does Michael live in the suburbs? His street also seems pretty quiet. Little nitpicks, though, overall, very happy. Yeah, I'd say they cleared the streets quite a lot of uh, of people in this in this city. Yeah, there's definitely a lot less people than you would see in New York at most times. Although I have been in a deserted area of New York at night, and it is very weird. <laughs> Thanks for that, Tina. Robert Phillips says, love the foxhole narrative, the tension and allegory as to how best to help the man who won't get out of the hole he's built as the safety of the known is more comfortable than the, the distress of the normal. The show, using the consistent motif of warriors trained for a single purpose and unsuited to adapt in the world, should, I think, make us reflect that Frank needs to get out of his hole, not keep finding better reasons to stay in it. Really, really good commentary there, Robert. Thanks so much for sending that in. Um I Really like that idea that it's all about the holes we make for ourselves and not being able to get out of them. Yeah, It's really interesting. I know we we made the point that this series is supposed to be trying to get Frank back into uh, his costume, his Punisher costume, and going out and punishing the villains. Um, But yeah, I think the show is making a much more serious point about, about what happens to people who are trained and put into a specific category and not being able to get out. But very good point, Robert. Robert also says, Did anybody else notice how you know when a car chase is finished because you can hear yourself think over the roaring of engines again? Yeah, I know this is something that I mentioned in the episode about um, the kind of Jack Reacher type of driving that's in this episode is really realistic sounding but they're real muscle cars so the noise of them is absolutely uh, overtakes your senses for a while while the uh, car chase is going on and finally michael Boots says do we think that micro knows that the agent in charge of the op they interrupt is the same one he sent the video to and that she's the one he smashed up i don't see how he could have missed that point assuming he saw the op briefing on an email that she probably would have at least been cc'd on and i'm guessing he did some tech tracking of the car because no way he did just that by guesswork and analysis. Wow, Michael, really good catch. I didn't get that at all in the episode, that, of course, Michael should have known that Dinah was the person that he emailed, because it was her email address that he sent the video to uh, in those flashback scenes back in episode three. So he should have known this was Dinah, so I'm really intrigued. I wonder how that will play out in a future episode, or will it play out in the future episode? Um, he may not have known that it was her behind the wheel of the car. He just saw a, a car lining up, Um, But I'm sure we'll find out in the next episode.
2: But thank you for all the feedback. Remember, uh, as well as through email and through the Facebook group, you can also send us feedback through the voicemail on our website. Just go to DefendersTVPodcast.com and go to the right-hand side, and you can leave up to 90 seconds of voicemail, or you can tweet
0: us at DefendersCast over on Twitter. Absolutely. And if you want to subscribe to the podcast, as I mentioned earlier on, just go to the website at DefendersTVPodcast.com and go to the subscribe section where you should find every good or evil podcast catcher that you can subscribe to. Uh, While you're on there, if you want to leave us a review or share the love with your friends, just share the podcast through your own social media channels. Be cool. Yes. Yes, Sean Connery. The subscribe section.
2: (laughs) That was hilarious.
0: Thanks so much for joining us for this week's episode. We'll be back next week with episode five, Gunner. On Friday the eighth of December.
1: Yes, thank you very much everyone and uh, keep on punishing.
0: As always, thank you so
2: much for listening and we will speak with you again next time. I'm off to oil my pink Kruger. Bye.
1: But I'm to you what
0: the episode was directed by Carl Skoglund. This is also his first time in the Marvel Netflix shows, uh, but he has tons of TV credits. Right back to three episodes of Queers Folk US. Back in the day. Back in the day, yes. <laughs> uh, also done episodes of Walking Dead, Fear the Walking Dead, Penny Dreadful and Handmaid's Tale, John. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah.
1: So we've got the bona Days, if you will.
2: Yeah, Penny Dreadful. And The Handmaid's Tale, really good. And, of course, Queer's as Folk US. Okay, not quite as good as Queer as Folk, um, the original. No, no, absolutely not. But so, still really good because it actually went on for six seasons rather than just two. Yes, six seasons of
0: 22 episodes a season yes, as well. Yeah. exactly.
1: And that kind of sounds exactly like Fear the Walking Dead. Not as good as the original, but it's still going on.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there
1: you go.
0: Yeah, I kind of get the feeling that crossover they're going to do with Walking Dead means the end of Fear the Walking Dead. Would that be a good idea? Probably. Yeah. And I really like the surname to this director,
2: Skogland. What a cool name. But with that, I think, onto my synopsis. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) (laughs) As she races to stop the truck, she and Frank play a cat and mouse... Play a cat and mouse? They put on ears and (laughs) whiskers. But again... all these people in government agencies are so dodge. Like, um, you know, is he definitely on her side? Is he just giving her good advice, warning her off? Play the game, play the field, make your mark here. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> not play the field. Yeah, <laughs> okay, cramps. <crunch>. Um, <laughs> is of is he just
0: giving her good advice? Play the politics.
1: <laughs>